Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Back again with another edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you, and we're removed now from the NBA Finals as congratulations goes out to the Golden State Warriors. And you've heard the stat a number of times, but I'll say it one more time to maybe put a bow on it as we eyeball the NBA draft coming up on Thursday as well. But for Golden State, six championship appearances in eight years and four titles in eight years. An incredible run for a team that already was a dynasty, and they've only solidified that moniker and that history, that place in history, that much more with this latest victory, uh, winning the title, the 2021-2022 NBA championship in six games over the Boston Celtics. And uh, what a run for Golden State. What a uh, remarkable run when you think about where they were just a season ago, two seasons ago, uh, a few years removed from losing to the Toronto Raptors in 2019 and the struggles that they've been through, the injury woes and issues, Jonesy, that they've been through. And all of a sudden, here they are. you know, another parade, this time going through the streets of San Francisco, not Oakland, but either way, the Bay Area and a championship for Golden State. And again, I say, what a run, what a team, what a dynasty and what history. And it makes you think, how good can this team be even going into next year when, yes, they're a little bit older, but they started to bring in a younger crew as well to complement those aging veterans, some of whom obviously are still playing at such an elite level. Well, Eric, I mean, they get James Wiseman back next year. That's all I can say, right? They, they, they did it without him this year. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was absolutely spectacular. And, and, you know, there are some other young players. You look at Jordan Poole and what he has to contribute. Um, and to your point, Eric, you know, when you were, uh, when you were reiterating what a kind of a, a resurrection it's been, Two years ago, they weren't even invited to the bubble, mm-hmm. right? They, they weren't even, you know, when we had COVID shut everything down and it was about this time, there were rumors about, oh, there's going to be a bubble in late July, early August. And Golden State wasn't even invited. They were so far out of it. The NBA deemed them not a factor to be in any kind of uh, playoff tournament, any play-in tournament or anything like that. And then last year, they lose in the play-in game. And Steph utters those famous words, oh, you don't want to see us next year. Well, I, I guess he was right. <laughs> when you look at uh, where they are and what they've done, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, whose team it was and kind of in an ancillary fashion. On the outside, on the periphery, Kevin Durant and the whole bit. Hey, they won w- before him. They won after him. It says something about the core of their team. Steph, Clay, Draymond, Mike Brown, Steve Kerr, um, you know, all those people that have been there, that have, that have you know, they, they've changed some of the parts on the outside, but the core is together, and they've won with that core, and there's no, no refuting that. Uh, and, and it says something about, I think, Steph, Clay, Draymond, Kerr and and well now going to Sacramento Mike Brown no that's that's well said and I wonder Jonesy too the impact that the absences will have on Steve Kerr's coaching staff because with no disrespect to the assistants it's still Kerr at the end of the day and he's I I don't even know where we would rank him among the all-time greats but I've got to assume he's in the top five top three for all-time coaches but at the same time you know the impact will be felt 
with key losses to his staff. But that said as well, if I keep going around this circle to, to uh, you know, eventually convince myself that maybe my theory could be wrong or could be right, it also comes down to the talent, right? How many times have we had players say, hey, yeah, I'm, I look like a better coach when I've got more talented players. I look like a coach that's maybe struggling more when I don't have talent. And he's not going to be losing the talent, which we just discussed. So where do you fall, Jonesy, on Kerr in the impact of the losses of some of these guys that are going to be moving back into the head coaching ranks and whatnot? I think some of those losses will be felt. I, I, I do think that the loss of Mike Brown, really his right-hand man, the guy who coached when he couldn't because of health concerns or anything like that, I, I think that's big because, you know, Nick Nurse always said this, and it's kind of a, a statement that, that goes, um, you know, unattended to. He values head coaching experience. And Steve Kerr has head coaches beside him, Kenny Atkinson, Mike Brown, these guys were head coaches in the league. And, and so it, it, it makes a difference. I mean, you look at, um, you know, you look at Nick Nurse's staff, a guy like, uh, you know, a guy like Adrian Griffin is with Thibodeau, the whole, has been with Tibbs the whole time. Earl Watson was a head coach. Like, it makes a difference. So I think the losses will be felt, but at the same time, there's a culture. Golden, you know, everybody talks about heat culture, heat culture, heat culture. <laughs> Hell, Golden State's got a culture, too. Absolutely. They have, a, they have a way of doing things with expectations attached. Six times in the finals in eight years. But nobody talks about the Warriors' culture. Well, you know, and it's not walking out the door. San Antonio's culture kind of made its way out the door when Tim Duncan left a little bit with the talent. It's not happening in Golden State. And Steve Kerr is still there, so... I think the losses will be felt, but they will get through it, and other people will step in as they learn the culture and what's expected. All right. Well, a man who would know the culture quite well, and he's uh, getting sized up for another ring. He's starting to lose fingers on one hand. Is the longtime voice of the Golden State Warriors. He's a friend of the show. He joined us during the finals, so we appreciated his time. And I remember part of our discussion was to, to give ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back, Jonesy. Are we missing something? Because it seems like a whole lot of people are real high on the Celtics and not as high on the Warriors, and we certainly were, Jonesy, and I know our next guest certainly was, and he was proven right, and he saw every game up close and personal, the radio voice of the Golden State Warriors, Tim Roy. Tim, congratulations, and thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Always fun to, to talk some ball with you guys. You know, when you talk, I could hear your discussion there about the, the coaching staffs, and I, I think you know, one of the things that, that make Steve Kerr and Nick Nurse successful is the fact that they, uh, they kind of bury their ego in the process. So they hire people that have good ideas and they take input. You know, Steve Kerr changed his coaching staff as painful as that was to him personally. He changed the coaching staff this year and brought in guys. And, and it, it changed the, the way they do things. The development was much more of a, of a uh, priority this year and the practices were a little bit different and and again you know Mike Brown going to Sacramento it's great for him there's only 30 of those jobs but you know the the fact that he stayed so long I think was in part because of the type of you know culture the coaching staff has and the culture the team has and of course you know let's face it the, they have talent and and again when the, when you know Boston beat Miami they were within a three of losing that um, series to a, a, t a Miami team that was pretty much banged up at the time, and 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 all of a sudden, I read the next day they were like an eighty-six percent favorite to win the finals. I, I kind of 
kind of shook my head at that. But it, over the course of the series, I thought the Warriors, you know, showed who they were and showed that they had uh, an outstanding defense just like Boston did. Tim, uh, you and I must be uh, – uh, we're, we're connected somewhere in another life because I kept harping on that. How does Boston have an 86% chance of winning? And then when it was 2-2 – they still had Boston with a 71% chance of winning. I'm like, can we take the mathematicians away from the game and their, and their, their stats and their – like, I, I didn't get it. Eric and I went on the air. I said, Golden State in six or seven. Like, but they're not losing the series. And I, I, don't, I don't know where that came from in terms of other people putting their two cents in. But, Tim, I, I talked about the culture, and there are a lot of teams. We famously hear about heat culture, but – you know, the Raptors, I, I think there's been a culture developed here in Toronto, too, around Nick, like Steve, with the, the trust that he's given to players and the confidence. How, how does that perpetuate itself with, like you said, a guy like Mike Brown leaving? And the developmental part, I, I hear you on that because you got one of our best developmental guys, Jama Mahalela, there in, in Golden State right now. Uh, Jama's great, and you know he comes up with things. You know, I was asking him. I, I always l- like to watch the uh, pregame drills he does with our rookies, uh, Kaminga and Moody. And he says, you know what? Uh, this year he was. Uh, they did a lot of drills where the players would pass, then cut to a spot, and you know get get the ball back and make a move there. And I asked him about that, and he says, you look at a lot of dr- drills before games. Players don't pass the ball that often. They get the ball. They get passed, too. But they don't pass. And in the game, you're passing and moving in, in our offense. So he said, I want them to get used to that. And so he does little things like that. John has been great. Love having him around. And um, he has really helped, you know, streamline and organize their practices. And, and he's been a big addition to the staff. But there is a culture. And, and it really, you know, it, it started when the ownership change happened. That changed everything uh, here in Northern California. And then it kept going with the drafting, you know, Steph Curry was already here. And as he emerged to a star and the drafting of the other guys, it, it really fell into place because Curry is one of the most unselfish players and people that you're ever going to meet. And he doesn't care. One of the reasons he hasn't gotten an NBA Finals MVP is he doesn't campaign for it. He's not out there beating his chest and looking around. He has his moments on the court where he, you know, he's demonstrative, but but he's not that kind of guy. And and uh, another announcer, friend of ours, uh, pointed out to me this year. He goes, I was watching a playoff game. And the ball goes to Curry, and most superstars are going to take that shot. But he made the extra pass to Damian Lee. He says, and and that's why you know that's why he's a great teammate because you know he's going to say, no, Damian Lee's the guy who's wide open. I'm going to get the ball to him. And it it kind of starts with Steph, and then when you add Steve to that mix. Then you have another unselfish guy at the top, and it kind of snowballs from there. And it just makes it a really fun environment. And it's one that I think when you're a player and you, you come to play with the Warriors, if you don't like playing here, then you've, you've come to the wrong league. Speaking with Tim Roy, radio voice of the Golden State Warriors. Tim, um, I'm going to assume you're going to agree with me here, uh, but tell me if I'm off base or if I'm even missing a couple of names. But Jonesy, Jonesy mentioned earlier James Wiseman. Obviously, we think about Poole. We don't think about uh, you know Steph slowing down anytime soon. We've seen a few warts maybe starting to come with Draymond, but he's still a guy I take on my team any day of the week, any day. And then I look at Clay Thompson and go, you know what? 
for all the credit he gets for coming back this year, and I, I, I heap tons of praise on him, he's going to be even better next year, you would assume, giving a, another full offseason and more time to heal and to get back to his true self. And it makes me think how dangerous this team potentially could still be going into next season and even beyond that. Yeah, because, you know, and I kept trying to tell people that this year. I said, we won't really see Clay until the middle of next year, you know, when he's had a full season under his belt. And, again, another off season where he gets to work. And now, uh, you know, he has the, the, the goal of repeating, which is going to be a goal that those guys are going to harp on this summer. So, yeah, he's going to get better. Hopefully Wiseman gets on the floor and shows us what he can do. We saw flashes of it in the first few games he played. Kaminga and Moody should get better. I think Kaminga will be a rotation guy next year. Uh, Poole should get better, should get a little stronger. So they've got a nice little you know situation in place, and it just showed that you know they they had the two years where where things weren't going their way, they weren't entirely healthy, and they turned that into a win. You know they they did a very difficult thing. They they had to trade Andre to uh, Memphis to get salary relief. So what did that do? That gave him the room to get D'Angelo Russell by convincing Kevin Durant to do a sign and trade on his way out the door. Uh, Kevin said, sure, we'll, we'll do that. And so they get D'Angelo Russell, they flip that to Minnesota, and you end up with Wiggins and Kaminga. And so the job they did in, in the two years they were away, and, and you know had Poole developing him over that time. So the, the they did a stellar job that way. And, and I got to tell you, uh, Andrew Wiggins had such a great postseason. Um, the stat that, that I keep coming back to is that in the first three rounds of the playoffs, Jason Tatum shot something like 50% on twos. And in the finals, he shot like 32% on those. And that is right in Andrew Wiggins' wheelhouse. He has become an elite defender, and I'm just really happy for him because he showed everybody you know, the kind of player he is. Wow. Uh, a lot of people happy for Andrew Wiggins, but Tim, with all the stuff that we've talked about, looking forward to next year. I, like, it's funny. We always say, uh, my, my kids have worked for the NBA at the Summer League, and they say, Dad, when you get to Summer League, nobody cares about last year. Everybody's already looking forward towards next year. So Summer yeah. League starts July, July 7th, so we're a couple weeks away. Let's f- look forward to next year. How good can this team be next year? You know, every year is different, and every year is all about health. And so if they come in, if they're reasonably healthy next year, I think they have a chance that they'll be another uh, a team to they'll be in the mix for a championship. And, you know, I, I think how good they will be will, be will depend on how much progress their young players make. You know, they are maxed out, you know, to the, the, you know, the gills uh, salary-wise. We know that. So – they're not going to get a big-time free agent. Um, they have difficult decisions to make. They're going to, tr- you know, Bob Myers said yesterday in his exit interview that he's going to try to get everybody back. Uh, that's going to be really hard to do. Um, you can't fault guys who, who can get paid somewhere else. They have a very short window of earning great money, and you got to try to maximize that. And so, and you know, maybe a couple of guys off this roster will get paid, uh, but. The um, you know I I think it's going to have to come from their young players and and it, it's got to come from Kaminga it's got to come from Wiseman Pool has to be better and if those guys are better then they can find other guys to fit in around them uh, then I think it'll be uh, it'll be huge but you know Looney and Pool are two key guys that they hope to get back 
um, you know, Poole, just what a remarkable story he was. And you can tell the difference defensively when he's on the floor. The Warriors become an elite defensive team when he's on the floor. Hey, Tim, we appreciate the time and insight, uh, not only tonight but throughout the season. As I said, even in the midst of the finals, always uh, appreciate you taking time for us. Congratulations again and enjoy the offseason. Well, you know, I got to tell you, this was this the Warriors got to the finals and won in part because of their, you know, their Canadian branch, you know, with JAMA, Wiggins, the strength and conditioning staff. We got a whole bunch of people that used to work with the Vancouver Canucks, so we had a very much a, a Canadian presence there in the finals. I just wanted to let you know that. No, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks, Tim. There's Tim Roy radio voice of the champion Golden State Warriors and uh, what a run they went on and uh, what a fun time that parade looked like as well giving me memories of a couple of seasons back a few seasons back and uh, the the millions two to three million lining in the streets of downtown Toronto and uh, seeing Mark Gasol getting a little sauced and tanked and, and Clay Thompson doing the same thing hey, with the Hennessy hey, hey. and falling all over people and I don't care good on you <laughs> hey we were we were standing what maybe 15 feet from Mark Gasol when he was when he was having the time of his life we settled on that last bus remember that e the ride the ride coming to city hall wow i'm i'm all for it man i'm all for it relive those memories anytime anytime i'm happy to do it again we're going to be joined by alvin williams shortly i don't think he's on the line yet um, but uh, when, when Alvin, uh, when we get a hold of him, we'll bring him into the conversation. And we, of course, are counting down to Thursday's draft, Jonesy. And uh, actually, Alvin is there now. So former NBA or longtime Toronto Raptor and, of course, Raptors analyst on Sportsnet, Alvin Williams, joins us. Al, good to chat with you. Same here, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Al, Always, I want... Al. I want I want to hit you right off the bat. I was going to, you know, segue into this as I was chatting there, not, not knowing you were on the line. What was it like for you? I'm not going to say the, the number of years, <laughs> how many years ago, when you were getting set the <laughs> night before the draft, the day of the draft, getting your suit ready, figuring out family and, and figuring out the nerves and where you might be going and, and, and all the last-minute prep and everything. To walk, walk me through that in the process of a youngster on the, on the, on the brink of becoming a pro. Oh, uh, man, that's the beauty of it. Hold on. Stop. I'm on the phone. That's the beauty of it. Um, there's so many different levels. I didn't have any expectations because, well, I had expectations. I was a second round pick to not getting picked. So no suit for me, no, uh, no getting family ready. It was, I have remember having, I was in the hood playing a league, the summer league game. And I played that game. And I remember a fan, a Philly fan heckling me talking about, Sham God was better than me, and I wasn't going to get drafted. So it was like that type of environment. And no, but hold had, on a second. Now. Had, hold on, hold on, hold on. I didn't even. I wasn't assuming. Like, listen, I I know my history. With due respect, I wasn't talking about you being in the green room. But you're telling me you didn't even have a home party in your house or in a like you were on the courts playing the night of the draft. You weren't even like in a in a like a, a banquet hall or something or somebody's basement or no. like what? No. No, no. I went. I was home. What? I went. I played the game. The game was over by like around, I guess, like six forty-five. I went home, and just for me, I was I was trying to like spend energy. I, I was too nervous. I mean, that was my dream, and you know, I wanted everything to come. But leading up to the draft, I only had three workouts: the Milwaukee Bucks, the New Jersey Nets, and the Portland Trail Blazers. Portland Trail Blazers, Milwaukee, and all those guys—they had like first-round picks. So I was told I was going to get drafted in the second round to not getting drafted at all. 
So it was just one of those things where I wasn't expecting to get drafted until if I was going to draft to late that night. So I played in the game, and by the time I got home, it was like the 12th pick. And I had I had my um, my godmother who was living at the time and my mom and dad, and I think I had two friends and my girlfriend at the house. And that was it. That was it. And I remember the first, the 40th, the, the 40th pick came, and my agent had just called me and said that, you know, that teams aren't really biting. They're not looking for point guards. And they they drafted uh, they drafted Johnson, Anthony Johnson. Sacramento Kings drafted Anthony Johnson at 40, 40, at 40. And I remember having a workout against Anthony Johnson in Portland, and I did pretty good. Did well. And I was like, damn, uh, he got drafted before me. And then the 46th pick came. My ad- agent called me right before that, and Washington Wizards had it. And he said, they're not looking for a point guard. They drafted Sham God, God Sham God. And I just remember that heckler telling me that God Sham God was better than me. <laughs> the next one was the 48th pick. Um, and then I didn't even hear it. My sister came and told me that, you know, you got drafted. By this time, myself, Katino Mobley, and my college teammate and roommate, Jason Lawson, we're over at the house now crying. Jason came over, and Kat was over there as well. And we were there sitting there crying, man. And my name got picked. So that was it. So it was a different night. It wasn't a lot of game planning. It wasn't it. But it was emotional. And it was a dream come true. It was a dream come true. And it was, it was a night that I wouldn't trade in for anything. Al, what was it like when you got to – I mean, you're drafted. You finally – you hear your name and you're heading to that city. What, what was it like when you finally got there? Because I always say it's one thing to get drafted – it's a whole other thing to have a career. Like, they can call your name, but you don't get on that court unless you earn time on that court. What was it like when you landed and it was time to, you know, you got into the city, you say, hey, man, looks like this is going to be home for a while. Let's, let's get after it. What was that, that initial kind of, I'm here, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to make a contribution like? Man, uh, well, ignorance is bliss because my plane ride all the way to Portland I, first of all, my sisters wrote me a note, and I, I got to the plane. When they gave when they took me to the airport, they gave me the note, the letter, and I got in the plane, and I read the letter. This is the first time I'm ever going away by myself. And I read the note. I can't quite remember. I wish I saved it, but I know I cried damn near halfway through the flight. I remember that flight attendant keep asking me if I was okay, if everything was all right. I'm sitting there <laughs> crying, tears coming down my eyes. But I'm about to, I'm about to go to my dream. I'm about to, you know, fulfill my dream, live my dream. Rasheed Wallace was there. You know, my childhood friend was in Portland. So that was all good. I couldn't wait to see him. But, guys, I had no clue that I still had to make the team. I was a second-round pick. So I had no clue that I went, you know, I went through Summer League. We played in the Rocky Review, and then we played in, um, in the L.A. Summer League. And I played well. But I still had to make the team. And I remember the first, I remember the first training camp. And them coming and they were cutting people. I realized once I saw um, Bob Whitsitt and um, Jack uh, Jim Jim Paxson, Jim Jim not Jim Paxson, yeah Jim Paxson, yeah Jim, yeah. They were, uh, they, they were they were the uh, execs there, and they were coming in every day, and they would let somebody go. And when I start realizing that's what they were doing. As soon as they were walking the gym, I would try to walk as far as possible, <laughs> like they wouldn't text me, but as far as possible from them. But um, my agent called me about that last cut and was like, hey, guys, hey, hey, Al, you made it. 
you made the team. And I really had no clue that I still had to make the team. But, you know, that, that was good. I mean, me not knowing that I had to make the team, I was out there playing. I had great teammates, Rashid, Kenny Anderson, J.R. Ryder, Brian Grant. And they just treated me like I was already on the team. Stacey Augman, um, Gary Trent. Um, so, you know, I just made the team. But it was it was a dream come true once again. But that ride, I was emotional. That flight, I was emotional, although I was going to my dream. But, you know, I was going away from home for the first time in my family. And it was so it was the farthest place you could go there in Seattle. So in Vancouver. So it, it was it was it was a hell of a time. But it was, it was something that I'll never forget because I had no idea of the process. Speaking with Alvin Williams, Al, at what point, I mean, listen, I don't know that it's year three, year seven, year ten for, for a veteran player or whatever, but at what point does the, 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 the switch flip in your head? Um, and, and listen, I acknowledge it's different for every guy, I'm sure, but, you know, Jonesy and I have often talked about the fact that, you know, we forget, and I've said this on this show many times, we forget about the, the, the changeover, the turnover in players every year. With 60 guys coming in, okay, maybe 60 don't make the league, maybe 35 do, maybe 40 do. But when you do the math, that's anywhere from 10 to 15-plus percent of the league is being replaced, and some dude is out of a job. When you're the young kid coming in, you're not thinking about that. As you just said, you're either guaranteed a spot and you know you're going to be in the league, or you're working your backside off to make the league because you, you want to fulfill your dream. You're not thinking about the veteran player whose job you might be taking. But then pretty quickly, like I say, three years in, five years in, seven years in, at what point are you go looking over your shoulder going, all right, damn, am I an established guy now? Do I need to worry about the young guy coming in, either taking my job, my role, or, or knocking me out of the league completely? Because it is crazy that we don't really talk as much about how many guys that were in the league this year are not going to be in the league in yeah. September of 2022. Yeah, I mean, for me um... – it never, it never switched because you guys know even my time in, in Toronto and I go all the way back to college. I remember my sophomore year going into my junior year and my coach telling me, you know, you're a man next year. A senior point guard was, was you know, graduating and these next two years, a year, year, you got a year with Kerry Kittles, his senior year, and then it's going to be your show. And I remember leaving his office in college and I go upstairs to run. We had open run and I see Stephon Marbury in the gym. I'm like, damn, I, well, if he goes here, I know it's not going to be my show. So it's always somebody there to replace you. That, that's the nature of the business. And then when you, when, you get to, when you get into the NBA, you guys remember my time in Toronto. Like, it, it was times where we would have practice and there was another guard on the other side of the gym working out because the narrative for a long time was one of the missing pieces for Toronto was a point guard. You know, you had the superstar, you had the toughness, but – do they really have a true point guard, a true point guard and a true big? And I was always that guy that, you know, had to try to prove that I could play the point guard at that level. I could, I could, I could run a team. I could do certain things. So it was always that. It was always something, trying to bring another point guard in or drafting, looking to draft a point guard or whether it's a free agent or whatever. So it was, I can never relax. I can never relax and think that I had, I secured the position, right? So there was, there was times where we had, you know, it was Muggsy. You played D. Brown at the point, and even Tracy McGrady was so was so good. They put him at the point guard. Doug Christie at times. You remember the years before we, we won that New York series? You know, Doug Christie started at the point. Muggsy Bogues ended up starting at the point. So I, I really never got a chance. So it was always that mindset that you had to – you had to be ready because I was already that I was the last man out. I was I was the man that was going to be out, so I always had to be ready. So that time of me being 
all right, I'll solidify my spot. That never came. That never came, which is a good thing because it would never let me rest and it would, it would never let me be complacent. Al, we're up against the clock here. Um, quickly, what, what advice would you give to a young guy who maybe, even if he's not drafted in the first round, is drafted in the second round tonight? What, what advice would you give to him being very blunt and succinct about trying to make the league? Once again, don't get complacent, but don't get discouraged. You know, it's just one of those things where everyone's name is not going to get called, but that doesn't mean you're not going to make it. And you see today's NBA, you know, there's so many undrafted players that are very successful and they're part of good teams and they're part of a system and they're part of a game plan. They got the development league, you know, the G League, which is, you know, that developmental piece. So there's, 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 there's different times than when I was coming up. So once again, do not get complacent. You know, don't get too high, but definitely don't get too low because, you know, the opportunity is going to be there as long as they keep pushing forward. Al, we always appreciate the time, man. And uh, when I guess we speak next, we'll, we'll, we'll know how it all shook out and we'll be knocking on the door free agency in a, a very busy summer. Apparently that's already started. It looks like Jeremy Grant's been traded from yep. Detroit to yep. Portland. So lots Portland, going on yep. already, Al. Yeah, man, yeah. Hopefully it's going to be it's exciting times for a lot of people. So... Best of luck to everyone that's involved. All the best, man. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Al. There is Alvin Williams, Raptors analyst on Sportsnet, of course, long-time veteran nba -er, and uh, always love having him on the show, and he joins us every week here on Smith & Jones. And, uh, Jonesy, we've got about a minute here before we've got to step aside for the break. Nick Stauskas from the Boston Celtics is set to join us in a few minutes' time. Um, but it's it's this is kind of the crazy time, right? It's like, and I remember this in 2019 as well. You don't really have time to to really you know relish and and, and soak in the championship because oh, week later's the draft, week later's free agency, and at least from Toronto's perspective, boom, Kawhi's gone. It's like, man, we only had what two three weeks to celebrate the title. It's like, uh, man, yeah. it keeps coming at you fast and furious. Eric, it's the first thing that you know the kids told me they noticed. Uh, they went to work for the NBA in Vegas at summer league and. They got off the plane with all their friends, interns from, you know, the Trailblazers and, and the Hornets and all kids from all over the U.S. and international interns from Italy and Spain. And they had their Raptors championship gear on. And one of the other kids said to them, well, nobody cares. That's last year. <laughs> like, and, and wait a minute, we just won. It's not even a month old. Well, nobody cares because we're already talking about next year. So you're right. I mean... You know, the trophy never goes away. You get to hang on to that forever and, and put that up on your on your mantle. But everybody's looking towards getting another one next year. That's the way it goes. Folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please download, rate, review, and share as well. When we come back, we'll be joined by Nick Stauskas from the Boston Celtics right here on Smith & Jones. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you again. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please download, rate, review, and share as well. And uh, we're pleased to bring into the conversation a guy who, well, we were hoping to – we're going to still congratulate him, obviously, because it was a heck of a season and a heck of a journey. But we were hoping to congratulate him on a ring. But unfortunately, I guess the Warriors and Curry and so many others had other plans. So uh, unfortunately, it's a, it's a silver medal this time around. Uh, but a heck of a season, as I said, nevertheless, for the Boston Celtics and for the man that joins us on the line right now, Canadian Nick Stauskas. Nick, thanks for the time, as always. Appreciate you guys having me on. What's up? What's up? 
we're doing all right, Nick. Trying to trying to duck and dodge the heat over the last couple of days. But uh, you know, if I find a segue there, the heat was certainly on you guys uh, over the last couple of games. It looked like it was sort of a, a nip and tuck series for the most part. But then, as I just mentioned, and I know you kind of said off air as well, Steph Curry maybe had other plans and talk about catching fire and 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 getting hot and that heat that he showed with his overall game and uh, unfortunately uh, again for you guys uh, Nick for the Celtics uh, it just wasn't meant to be but I've got to assume that just that experience alone going that far going that deep is something that you and so many others can sort of propel and and carry you forward into future years and future experiences yeah I mean I definitely think that the future is bright for the organization a lot of the key players um, you know are 23 24 25 years old so um, you know, this is, is definitely one of those things that's going to fall under the experience category where, you know, um, you know, not all teams get it right their first time. So uh, I think this is still a work in progress for us. But, you know, we got to be encouraged because, you know, especially with a couple of minutes left in game four, I felt like we, we all felt like we had an opportunity to go up 3-1. And, you know, we kind of let that slip away from us. They tied it up 2-2. And, you know, for me, it per- for me personally, it just felt like the momentum had kind of shifted. Uh, the momentum changed at least a little bit when we lost that game four and then we just never were really able to find ourselves again and you know kind of as you mentioned Steph was you know he was unbelievable throughout the whole series and um, you know I guess if you're going to lose to someone you want to lose to a guy like that who's you know going to go down go down as an all-time great so um, you know it's disappointing we weren't able to pull it through but I guess still a lot of positives to take away from it and and, uh, you know a fun journey over the last three months for all of us. Hey, Nick, they make a lot out of um, experience in the playoffs and the finals. As you step back now and reflect and, you you, you know, it looked like you, as you said, you were going to go up 3-1 and, and, and it didn't happen. Do you think, the you know, that, that nebulous term that we talk about, do you think experience had anything to do with it? And if it did, what? Yeah, I don't – and that's something that I've been trying to like pinpoint for us because it felt like the last three games that we lost, we kind of got away from what had made us so good, especially, you know, offensively, I felt like we got away from what was working over the you know first three series. And I don't know if that was like lack of experience, guys being tense, tired, whatever it was, but you know, it just seemed like those three games when we started to struggle to find, you know, something in the NBA finals, the Warriors kind of hit their stride and, you know, especially with a guy like Steph leading the way who's, you know, been there, done that. Um, it just seemed effortless for them in a way. And, you know, that's, it makes it all, all more impressive. But, you know, for us, we just didn't have that, um, you know, we just didn't have that last burst to give in those three games, and, and it cost us. Speaking with Nick Stauskas, Nick, how about the experience for you personally, everything that you've been on and been through the last 12 months, if not longer, and, and finally culminating to a return to the league and then all the way to the championship and maybe not playing a ton, but still, you know, getting fits and spurts here and there and just the overall experience for you on, on this journey. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I spoke to you guys on my way to the airport to Boston after I had signed with them. I was on my way from Grand Rapids to, to Boston. I remember speaking to you guys and um, yeah. obviously I was so excited to have the opportunity to, to sign with the Celtics and, and be back in the NBA. But, you know, I didn't really expect at that time that it was going to end, you know, with us going all the way to the NBA finals and, you know, things playing out the way they did. So um, it's definitely been a crazy season for me personally, but um, it was a great, it was a great experience with this team. Like I've never 
truly enjoyed a, a group of, of players the way, you know, this Boston team was from the staff to the, the players, the organization. So um, I have nothing, nothing but positive reviews of, of my time there in Boston. And, and, you know, I would love to continue my, my career there next year if possible. So we'll see how it, how it all plays out. Nick, how did, how was it left um, in terms of you potentially continuing your career in Boston? I mean, uh, you know, they signed you because they obviously saw stuff that, that you could bring to the team and, and ways in which you could be helpful. You guys have made it to the finals. What are the possibilities of returning to Boston and, and continuing your journey there? Well, they, they have a team option on me, um, so they need to decide by July 15th. So they're either going to, you know, fully guarantee my, my contract for next year or I would become a free agent. So uh, the ball is very much in their court at this time, but... You know, I feel like over my time there, even though I didn't play much in the games, you know, just between practices and my interactions with all the, all the staff and players, like I had nothing but, um, I guess, positive experiences. Um, and I kind of got positive feedback from, from the organization as well. So I'm hopeful, but, you know, obviously in this business with, you know, the draft and free agency coming up and trades, like you just never know, um, you know, how a roster is going to shake up or, you know, what our, you know, what our moves are going to be moving, uh, you know, coming into the off season. So uh, I'm hopeful, like I said, to come back, but, you know, it's definitely going to be up to, to Brad Stevens and, and the front office at the end of the day. So um, I guess, you know, we'll be hearing soon. Hey, Nick, we've often said this, and I mean, obviously we come at it from a way different perspective as, as broadcasters, clearly. Um, but we experienced it a few years ago. What was it like for you coming from a major program, you know, getting drafted in the league, uh, playing in the league, and then, and then playing in the G League and finding your way back, everything you've been on, and then dealing with the bright lights of the NBA Finals? Because everybody says it's different. It feels different in the Finals, whether it's the media attention, whether it's the spotlight overall, whether it's the quote-unquote pressure. You've dealt with so many things in your career. You've, been, you've, you, you've, you've handled all these things. But did it feel different, or was it different, or what was different about the finals? I think it definitely it definitely felt a little different, especially day one. Um, you know, day one of media availability, just having you know hundred plus media members on the court, um, kind of kind of get that final four feeling again, where you know just you realize the magnitude of of the games you're about to play. Um, but you know, other than that, once the games once the game started, it is it is basketball at the end of the day. You know, nothing changes. The, the three point line is the same same distance. The basket's still ten feet. So um, you know, the basketball all feels the same at the end of the day. But you know, going up against a team like Golden State, you you do see the greatness in them. You know, you see a team who's won four championships, and um, you begin to appreciate a little bit how difficult it is to to put together a team like that that can be successful you know that many times in a row or i mean for them six six times in eight years they've been to the finals so um you know being on the other side of it and and going up against them you know you you definitely tip your hat to them and shake their hand because they they earned it but uh i think now as we kind of look our look at ourselves in the mirror like that's what you know that's what we want for ourselves you know as as a team we would hope to to be in that position where we can compete for a championship year in year out and I think just based on the guys that we have right now, I know we have the talent, we have the chemistry. Um, you know, who knows if it's one more, you know, missing piece, two more missing pieces. You know, that's for the front office to find out. But I definitely think we got the right guys in place already. Nick, what did you what did you garner from? I mean, you you've been on a bunch of different teams. 
this one makes it to the finals. Can you tangibly put your finger on something that was different? Yeah, this is why this team made it to the finals and these other teams that I was on, even though they had expectations and wanted deep playoff runs, didn't do it. And, and I'm not talking about the talent. Of course, it's a whole lot easier when you have Jalen, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum or people like that. But just from a, a team standpoint, camaraderie or uh, chemistry standpoint off the floor, is there something you can put your finger on that you say, hey, man, this is this makes for championship DNA? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to say because, um, you know, I, I do think a lot of it comes down to, like, on the basketball court, you know, who do you who do you have and, and what do they bring to the table, which I felt like, especially on the defensive end, we were a special group. And I think that's what put us in position to win a championship was our defense. But when I look off the court, the thing that stood out to me was this is definitely the closest group I've been around since I've been in the NBA. Like, I um, I came into Boston on March 3rd, and I think, like, the second day, second or third day I was there, it was Marcus Smart's birthday party, and the team had, like, a surprise black, uh, black tie event for Marcus Smart's birthday, and I showed up that, like, kind of just, like, two days in. I didn't really know much of the staff or, you know, I kind of was just new to the organization, and being at that event, and seeing how close that group was off the court and, you know, guys are having drinks together, having a good time with the coaches, with the owners, like, and everyone just felt like family, um, you know, see everyone laughing together, having a good time. Uh, that stood out to me because I was like my first experience with the team and they all made me feel so welcome from day one. And uh, I just never felt that way. I've been on a lot of, you know, non-playoff teams where there might be some more drama and stuff. And so when I compare the two, there's just a huge contrast because, you know, I've played on a lot of teams that just have never put themselves in that position. And, and again, something to be said about, I think winning does, you know, winning does cure a lot of things in the NBA. You know, if you're winning games at the end of the day, I think most, most things are, are kind of swept under the rug and guys are happy. So um, it's tough, though. It's tough. I think every team's a little bit different. But personally, I, I truly enjoyed my time here with the, with the Celtics. And I got nothing, nothing but positive experiences since I was there. And, Nick, everything you just said kind of leads me perfectly to where I wanted to go, at least for, for a minute or two here, uh, as we talk about the draft as well and, and think back to your time. You know, a lot of times in, in every sport, you know, there are some exceptions to the rule, but more often than not, there's a reason why teams are picking high in the draft. And you're going from probably winning and, and winning a lot in college and maybe winning a lot since back to bitty ball and AAU and, and, and high school and everything else. And now you're going to a team where you might not be winning a whole lot and you might be playing a lot of minutes or not playing a whole lot. And it's a lot of losing and it's the mental drain on that. What's your advice to the young player or players that are coming into the league? Not just what they're going to deal with on draft night itself, but the experience of first getting into the league and finding your way, uh, not just with the game, but away from the game and everything that goes with being a pro. Yeah, I think the... I think having a routine is really important, like having a game day routine, off day routine, all those kinds of things, building good habits, holding yourself accountable. Um, those things are all important, but like my number one like piece of advice, and it's easier said than done, but like not getting too high, not getting too low, because like you said, the 82 game season, you get drafted first overall, chances are you're going to be on a team that's going to win maybe 25, 30 games tops. And that's hard to deal with when all when your whole life all you've been used to is 
you know, winning this AAU tournament, winning, you know, winning in college, winning since you were a little kid, like it's hard to flip that switch. And all of a sudden you're now seen as a loser. Um, and so that's for me personally, that was one of the tougher things that I had to overcome was just kind of identifying with the losing and kind of, you know, it kind of, it's a downward spiral in, in some ways if you let it be, um, but it's a tough position to be put in as a number one pick because obviously you're a young kid and you're expected to turn things around. And most times it doesn't turn around um, as soon as you get there. So there is, there is a period of time where you have to deal with the struggles of, you know, being one of the bottom teams in the NBA. And, you know, I've been there a lot of times and it's, it's definitely not fun. It's not fun, you know, losing. So making these, like, you know, having these experiences with the Celtics and being a part of a winning team, um, it really makes it that much sweeter because I feel like I've experienced some of that, some of those lows, but I guess it's different for everyone in in their careers and who they start out with um, and who they get traded to or signed with throughout their career. So, uh, but yeah, definitely an exciting time for all the, all the young kids who are about to get drafted this year. Nick, uh, you, you said something that really piqued my interest there. When you are the face of a franchise, I mean, even when you were drafted in Sacramento, a top 10 pick, you go in there, you, you know, you're, you're going to be part of what turns things around. And, and all of a sudden, as you said, this losing hits you. How do you balance that with still trying to be your DNA, still trying to be the, the, the optimistic winning person that you are when all of this is coming at you? It, it, it's got to be a tough balance, Nick. Yeah. Well, for me, what I felt as a rookie, one of my one of my biggest struggles was a lot of um, a lot of my game is based off of excitement and passion for the game and the passion for competition. And um, what that led me to be in college was someone who was viewed as like maybe a little bit cocky or talked a lot. But that's just was me just truly enjoying the game and celebrating the 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 highs and lows of an in-game experience um but that's what i feel like made me who i was and when i came to the nba what i found hard to do was was carry that same excitement and swagger when you look up in the third quarter and you're down 20 25 points because now you can't just you know you kind of look like a jerk if you're out there you know you hit a three or you do anything you can't really celebrate you're down by 25 points and so for me, it was kind of this mental thing where I'm like, well, I, even when I am having personal success in some ways, I can't really celebrate those wins or I can't feel like I'm enjoying myself because of the overall mood of, you know, when you lose, it sucks. And I don't know if other players have dealt with it the way I did, but that was probably one of my biggest struggles um, coming in. And I'm sure for some of these guys who, if their game is based off of, you know, love and passion for the game, they, they might have some of those struggles too. So that's why I say don't get too high, don't, go, don't get too low, but you know, definitely easier said than done in this league. Hey, Nick, great insight there, uh, great insight. And, and I was going to wrap it up, but I did want to squeeze in one last one here. Um, and, and listen, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm assuming contract status and, and personal life with, with the, you know, a growing family and everything probably are a bunch of factors, but um, where do things stand with you in terms of what you may or may not want to do with the Canadian program moving forward? Because I know the, the program was looking for a three-year commitment this summer from a lot of guys. Your name was not a part of that list, at least for now. That's not to say that you couldn't be on the team, but obviously a big summer still with Olympic qualifiers and with this Global Jam tournament. Not that that would involve you, but there's a lot of hype around Canada basketball right now. So what about you in the future with the red and white? 
Yeah, honestly, it's it's something that I haven't really thought about too much just because, especially this last year, for me, the really the main focus and goal has been, like, getting myself back in the NBA. Um, and everything else has kind of been, like, put to the side in a certain sense. But um, especially now with, you know, with being married and having a baby on the way, um, you know, it's not something I've given too much thought about. And to be honest, I haven't really – I haven't – been in contact with anyone or heard from anyone from Canada basketball so um I think for now the answer the answer would be no especially with kind of like a three-year commitment being the thing they're looking for um but I I you know if I was asked to play down the line I can't completely rule that out I'm just saying for now probably not hey Nick again really appreciate the time have a great summer and uh we'll we'll keep our fingers locked for the uh, middle of July just a couple of weeks away and uh, look forward to seeing you back in the league next season all the best man I appreciate that, guys. Thanks for the time, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Nick. There is Nick Stauskas of the Boston Celtics, Jonesy, and that's going to wrap up another edition of Smith & Jones. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please download, rate, review, and share as well. We'll be back again with another fresh edition next week. Again, it's been Smith & Jones on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.